Good morning. morning. Happy Lord's Day. Day. I'll give you guys a second to get your Bibles out. We're going to be covering Psalm 32 today. And if you guys don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you. There's black pew Bibles. And I think the page is 487. So it's 487 in the black pew Bibles. Let's read God's word together. A Psalm of David. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And, I, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you use this time to speak to us, to convict us, to encourage us, but help us to see your son, Jesus, and see him as beautiful and lovely and true. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited to be here to, to preach this morning. Uh, if you guys don't know, my name is Jose, and I'm a member here at Bethany Baptist Church. And just bear with me with a little bit of nerves here. Um, but I'm thankful, and I'm honored to present to you God's word today. The opportunity to preach God's word is a privilege, and I'm humbled to serve the body today. As some of you know here, I'm a father of two. Um, you probably hear Josiah all the time. Um, Josiah, who's almost three, and Nathaniel over here, he's covered. Um, he's a little over three months old. And by God's grace, we're raising them to the best of our ability. But I must admit, parenting, it's been sweet, but it's been hard. It's been difficult. Going from one to two in so quickly, it just the transition, it's been really difficult. And we just became parents of two. And I look at other families here, like the Jungs, the Kims, the Parks, the Salazars, Herreras, the Bakers. They have three kids. And I'm just in shock of how you're able to take care of three kids. It's like you're outnumbered. What do you do? 
And then, and I think about the Bratchers, Jim, Castro's, all the Tobians, all you Tobian families that have like four or five kids. And I'm just like, how? I don't, uh, I got to ask you guys questions after this. But going back to Josiah, if you know anything about Josiah, he loves to have fun. He's always smiling, laughing. He's loud and he'll test the waters of what he can or can't do. He will try to get his hands in whatever trouble he can get into, like literally his hands. He'll, whether that's red paint that he used, he got his hands on and spread all over his bedroom, <laughs> carpet that we still haven't taken out. We probably just got to take the carpet out. Or whether he gets his hands on his own poop when he's eating breakfast and decides to poop and then goes in and just decides to spread it all over the dining room table. But in our parenting, we want to disciple Josiah and our kids. To, we want to get him to his heart issues. Like when he's upset or throwing a tantrum, we try to tell him, Josiah, have a happy heart. When he cries because he can't watch a show that he wants, Josiah, let's try to have a happy heart. When he doesn't want to share or when we discipline him because he pushes Shiloh, <laughs> Josiah, you can't do that. We need to have a happy heart. And as I continue to tell my son to have a, ha have a happy heart, I just started to put myself in his shoes, like literally his shoes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but... I started to think how difficult it must be for him to be happy in moments of sin and rebellion. For me to tell him to have a happy heart in moments when he's just so disobedient, how difficult it must be for him. The difficulty that my son has to have a happy heart in moments of sin is a difficulty that maybe some of us in our Christian walk have when, we're, when we are in our sin and we're told to, we need to rejoice and be happy. And this is an issue that is dealt with in our passage in Psalm 32. The struggle with sin and its power and control over us can still be an issue for a lot of Christians. For some Christians, before conversion, you struggled with a particular sin. You got saved. God saved you from that sin. God saved you from your sin, but also freed you from your vices, your temptations. But for a lot of us, that isn't the case. For, for some of us, although we've been saved by Christ, sin and its effect can still linger. It can still affect us. It can still feel like it's crushing us. It still enslaves us. We feel it. For those of us who struggle with ongoing sin or specific sins that they can't seem to get freed of, sin can feel like you're trapped. Sin has a hold of you that, can, that can't seem to be shaken and it can seem overwhelming. Whether you constantly struggle with anger or control, bitterness, whether it's sexual, sexual sin, sorry, as lust or pornography, same-sex desires, or getting drunk. Although Christians are saved from their sin, the power of sin and the control that it has can still sometimes feel unbreakable. There's a story in Greek mythology of a man named Narcissus. He was known for his beauty and his great physique. One day he was walking by a lake or a river 
and decided to drink some water. As he's about to drink, he sees his reflection in the mirror and was so entranced and captivated by the beauty of his own reflection. He became obsessed with the reflection of himself and he became so captivated with it and his reflection that it ended up being fatal for him for he died at the banks of the river looking at the beauty of his own reflection. For some of us here, this is the power that sin has over us. We become so captivated with sin. We see sin and we see it as beautiful. We believe sin's lies. Sin promises sweetness, but the pleasure doesn't last long. And sin's aftertaste is always bitter. So how can we as believers in Christ think through our sin? In Psalm 32, David has an answer for us. As difficult as it must be for Josiah to have a happy heart when he's in sinful rebellion, David in Psalm 32 gives us the command to be happy. Be happy in God's forgiveness in our fight against our sin. So Psalm 32 Give you, give you a little bit of context. David is happily telling his people of his own story, of his own struggle with sin. He then uses his experience to instruct his people to trust in Yahweh and be glad and happy. And that's what we want to get out of our text today. Here's the main point if you're taking notes. Be happy in God's forgiveness of you. Be happy in God's forgiveness of you. And in studying this passage, we're going to focus on our main point, but we'll see three marks that of David's forgiveness, of God granting David forgiveness. We'll see three marks that David reveals to us of how he used his newfound happiness to then point others to this same happiness. And we'll see this in three ways. The first one, the testimony of David, which is in verses 3 and 4. Secondly, the confession of David in verse 5. Lastly, the instruction from David, verses 6 and 11. Verses 6 to 11. So it's a testimony, confession, instruction. But before we dig deeper into the text, I want to provide for us a map to guide us in our time today. So David in verses 1 and 2 pretty much gets to the main point of our text in verses 1 and 2. Be happy in God's forgiveness of you. And he uses the rest of the text, verses 3 to 10, to expound on his main point, and that's where we'll see those three marks. And verse 11 brings us back to the main point, okay? So verse, verse 1 and 2 is the main point. Verse 3 to 10 expounds it, and verse 11 just brings us back, okay? But to better understand the context of Psalm 32, we need to see that there's a correlation between David's confession here and another Psalm of David, one probably better known for his repentance Psalm, Psalm 51. I know Reggie helped us confess our sins today. He, he spoke some of Psalm 51 in his confession. In, in Psalm 51 is the immediate expression of David's fall. And if you know anything about David, We'll see his fall in 2 Samuel 12, but I'll just let me just summarize it here. The story of David and Bathsheba. So if you don't know the story, David, he's strolling around the roof of his palace. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. He inquires about this woman and find that, finds out that this woman's name is Bathsheba. 
and also finds out that she is married to Uriah the Hittite. David sent word to his messengers to fetch her, and he sleeps with her, and Bathsheba is found to be pregnant. Instead of owning up to his own adultery, instead of owning up to his adultery and telling Uriah, he conspires and arranges for Uriah to go into battle and puts him at the very front. And he tells his soldiers to withdraw so that when he's left alone, puts in a vulnerable position, he's struck down by the, by the enemies and he dies. David then makes Bathsheba his wife and she bore him a son. Then the prophet Nathan confronts David of his sin and tells David that the Lord will bring disaster to his home and the son that David and Bathsheba had will die. And he did. David is devastated and he goes into mourning and is eventually restored. And that's the context that we find in Psalm 51. If Psalm 51 is the immediate expression of David's confession and restoration, Psalm 32 seems to be written after that psalm. Psalm 32 is David looking back at his journey, looking back at his past and the way God has been good to him and looking back at his sin. And he wants to encourage his people of the joy he's felt because he's been forgiven by God. So let's go back now into our text. Verses 1 and 2. It says this, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Like I said earlier, David here is pretty much providing spoilers. Spoilers for the rest of the psalm. This is the main point. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. This joy or happiness that David is talking about is ascribed to a person who's been forgiven. Similarly to another, the, the, the first psalm, Psalm 1, Psalm 1 says this, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sits in the company of mockers. But the happiness being expressed here in Psalm 32, is a, it deals with a greater happiness. Because Psalm 1, is, the psalmist is described as happy is the one who walks in God's way, which none of us do perfectly, Psalm 32, this happiness is reserved for a person who doesn't walk in God's ways, who sinned, but the person has repented of his or her sins and now enjoys the happiness of being reconciled and restored by God. And why does this person need to be reconciled to God and restored by him? It's because of our sin. And David uses three words in verses 1 and 2 to describe the dimensions of our sins against a holy God. So if you see it there... In verse 1, he uses the word transgression, which usually speaks of acts of rebellion towards God. It's a departure or going away. In verse 2, he uses the word sin, which we see is the most general term we use for an offense against God. Sin reminds us of our relation to God's divine law and how we have fallen short and missed the mark of God's standard. David then uses the word iniquity which denotes a corruption or twisting of ourselves. So we see transgression, sin, and iniquity to describe the evil of our sin. And in verses 1 and 2, we also, three, we also see the extent of God's forgiveness for us in, in three terms. God forgives us, he covers us, 
and he doesn't charge with us iniquity. Friends, David gets to the point fairly early. Be happy in God's forgiveness of you. For although your transgressions have caused you to rebel against God, although your sin has caused you to fall short before a holy God, and although your iniquity has corrupted you, if you come to God in repentance, he will forgive you, cover you, and he does not charge you with your iniquity. Therefore, we need to and we can be happy in God's forgiveness of you. David's appeal to his people to repent to the Lord now progresses with him sharing of his experiences with sin. This leads us to the first of three marks that we talked about. David's testimony, verses three and four. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. There may be some of us here that are hiding in sin. Some of you may be struggling with a habitual pattern of temptation and sin and have failed to see victory over your sin. This may have caused you to hide from God and try to fight the sin, sin try to fight sin's power on your own. Some of you are burdened by sin's power and sway over your life and have failed to run to God for forgiveness. And you may be feeling the weight of your sin that compares to David's experience here in verses 3 and 4. David says when he kept silent, his bones became brittle. Think about David, David's fall, right? How long has David been running and hiding from God? So he sleeps with Bathsheba, gets Uriah killed, has a baby, so this probably is like one to two years of him hiding and running from God and being silent towards him. So for this period, David kept silent and David felt the weight of sin affecting him physically to the point of his bones becoming brittle. For some of you, it's, it's been longer than one to two years, maybe half your life a good portion of your life running from God. The bones that were once strong pillars for David, David, this strong warrior who has won many battles, he defeats Goliath, these bones are now decaying. I'm 33 years old. And something I've realized more in the past couple of years is that my body isn't what it once was. I think Alyssa... Like every, every like two weeks, I'll complain about something and Alyssa's like shaking her head. Like there's always something wrong that's happening. <laughs> I'm sore more often. I, my body parts ache more. Last year around this time, I was hospitalized. So I feel for David here. But see, you see, when you're younger, you feel invincible. But it wasn't old age that was aching David. It was his sin against the Lord and lack of repentance. One interesting thing to note is that although David was silent, says here, when I kept silent, when he was silent in his confession to God, he was not silent in his groaning towards him, his groaning of pain and sorrow. Better to suffer all the diseases of the flesh than to lie under the weight and wrath of God. Not only were David's bones becoming brittle, Day and night, God's hand was heavy on him, and his strength was drained as in the summer's heat. 
It's as if David has been walking in the desert for an endless number, number of days. We see God's hand heavy on him, thus showing us God's discipline here. We read Hebrews 12 in our scripture reading. God can discipline his people, and this is a loving action. To the parents here, we discipline our kids, Lord willing, for the sake of wanting to grow them and love them. Similarly, as a church, when we exercise church discipline, when we confront others in sin, when, we, when someone is in formal church discipline, we do this out of love for that person and a desire for them to come to God in repentance. When we sin, we would want that for ourselves too, for others to restore us. The heavy hand of God that David experienced here eventually indicated to David that he needed to come to the Lord in confession. You see, when we sin, we wish God would ignore our sins and transgressions. But God cannot ignore sin, and he will not. And we wouldn't want him to. He brings pressure upon us until we acknowledge our sin, confess it, and return to him. And this is what David does in verse 5, which leads us to our second mark. David's confession. Read with me in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Church family, God forgives David's sin immediately. Verse 5 is the heart of David's testimony in this psalm, and this should be the same for us. Our experience of the forgiveness of God in Christ should be the heart of our own testimony in our Christian faith. Church, what a joy it is to know that when we come to God in confession, God forgives us of our sin, our sin, iniquity, and transgressions. Those same words in verses 1 and 2 are used here again in verse 5. And he does this immediately, and he does this completely. When David was at the end of his running, at the end of his running from God, when he was so drained from the groaning, the bones becoming more and more brittle, when he was finally so tired, he realized that his only hope and relief was coming to God. And God forgives him immediately and completely. The unrepentant state is described in this psalm as one of silence. The silence in context is specifically the absence of confession. The groaning in verse 3 shows the consequence of when one lives in unrepentant sin, continually living in guilt and a suffocated conscience. The brittling of the bones show bottling up of continued evil within the soul, continuing to be silent, continuing to hide from God, unaware that he knows all and he can see all, instead of finding freedom in forgiveness through confession. But when that confession happens, friends, it provides immediate relief. Amen. Confession is like the opening of the floodgate of a dam. When the sinner continues to be silent in confession, the waters behind the dam continue to pile up. This water then causes immense pressure on the wall of the dam. But as soon as that floodgate opens, the waters subside and the pressures diminish. One interesting aspect to point in this psalm is that we see that David confesses his sin to who? God. 
But a common practice that we have as Christians, and especially here at Bethany Baptist Church, is that we confess our sins to God, and we confess them to others as well. James 5, 15 to 16 says this, that the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So church, is there a need to confess these sins to other people? You got a yes? Yes. Is confessing sin to God enough? So what is David talking about here? David doesn't mention confessing sin to God and people in our psalm. So what is it? We need to read this verse similarly to David's statement in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, when David is repenting, he says to God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. But it's not as if David didn't sin against Bathsheba. It's not as if David didn't sin against Uriah. It's not as if David didn't sin against the countless of people that he had to lie to and he conspired, he used to conspire to kill Uriah. He was an unrepentant sin as a leader. So David sinned against others. But to David, he felt the weight of God's discipline. It was God's hand that was heavy on him. And God was the only one alone that was able to forgive David of his sins and provide for him relief. So should we confess sin to others? Maybe a question to ask yourself is, why wouldn't you? If you're truly mourning over your sin and you want to kill it, you want to break free from it, if you come to the Lord for forgiveness and desire to repent over sin, what reasons would you have in not wanting to share these burdens with others around you? If you've been freed, from, if you've been freed by God from a sin, do you not tell others because you still feel guilt? And shame? Is there something else you're still hiding? Is there something else you, you still don't want to give to the Lord completely? We sometimes shortcut our repentance and confession when we don't allow others to help us. We don't allow others to help us see if it's true repentance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer who, who Ben quoted last week in his sermon. You should, if you guys weren't here last week, you should listen to Ben's sermon from last Sunday. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German scholar, says this. Why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. But a brother is as sinful as we are. He knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God. Whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. Who can give us a certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God. God gives us a certainty through our brothers. Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. 
He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Many of us here have been, know, we know what it's like to fall into sin. We know what it's like to fall into sin. And some of us, this is a regular pattern. We fall into sin. We apologize to God, ask him for forgiveness. We confess it to him. We tell him, God, I won't do it again. I'm broken. I'm broken over my sin. I promise I'll stop. But the pattern continues. God uses the church to help us fight our sin. So confess your sins to God and to others. And church family, let's make, let's be a safe space for others to confess sin. Let's provide with them grace if they need to be rebuked. Let's do it kindly and lovingly. Because maybe that's why they're not confessing. Maybe they think they will be too harsh. I hope that's not true. And church, David did confess his sin to others as well. He's writing a psalm right now in 32, sharing about his sins and his confession. So we've seen the testimony of David. We've seen his confession. Now David moves into, in the psalm, a period of instructing and encouraging others to do the same. And this leads us to our third and final mark of David's um, repentance. And that is his instruction. David's instruction, which is found in verses 6 to 11. So let's read that. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David, after experiencing the freeing grace of God after his confession, now desires to share the great truths of his confession and what, has, what God has done to others. Going back to Psalm 51, verses 12 to 13, David says this, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your, rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. This is what, and this is a fulfillment of that. David is now then teaching others God's ways after his repentance. We see a similar story when we look at the apostle Peter. Peter sins against the Lord in Luke 22 and denies Jesus three times. But Jesus in Luke 22 predicts Peter's denial. But what does Jesus say? In verse 31, he's, Jesus says this. He says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And this is what Peter does when he's restored in John 21. When God restores him, he then, Peter then strengthens the brothers. 
then Psalm 32, 6 to 11 is a fulfillment of that. Side note here, PJ, we're thankful you're back from your sabbatical. I have a running joke with PJ that whenever he has a really good sermon, I'll tell him, hey, bro, top three sermon, top three sermon right there. I've told him, I've told this to him like so many times where that top three just keeps going. I don't, like, it's like I'm making this list and I don't even have this list. But if you go into the archives of his sermons, his sermon on Luke 22, top three sermon, guys. All right. <laughs> so this is what David is doing now in verses 6 to 11. He's instructing his people. Verse 6, he says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Other translations of verse 6, the Lexham English Bible says, pray to you at the time for finding you. The ESV has a good translation. It says, offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. To help us understand what verse 6 means, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 55, 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Verse 6 is telling us to pray to God, confess your sins to God immediately because there will be a time when it will be too late. God has provided grace for you now to come to him and receive his forgiveness, but this grace will not always be there. Hebrews 3 says this, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Satan wants to harden your heart. And he wants to turn you away from God. That's why we encourage each other daily. That's why today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice asking you or drawing you to repent, confess your sins to God today. Now is the time to release the burden of sin to the Lord. Now is the the time to drop the weight, the weight that you felt because of the deceit. Now is the time to drop the heaviness that you feel because of the guilt. He offers himself to you. And if this is you this morning, I'm pleading with you. Give it to the Lord. Whatever you're hiding that is burdening you, whatever guilt you're carrying, Whatever sin you're clinging to, give it to the Lord today. If you want to come talk to myself after this, feel free. The pastors are here to listen, members as well. If, if, whoever, whoever it is here that you feel is a safe space for you to talk to, hopefully you talk to them after this. David is exhorting us now to come to God in confession. He tells us in verse 7 that God is our hiding place and God protects us from trouble and God surrounds us with joyful shouts of deliverance. David, who was once silent, hiding and running away from God, tells us now in verse 7 that God is now his hiding place. 
You see, church, hiding in God is a lot better than hiding from him. God is no longer the heavy hand on David. God is now his protection. Not even the tallest, strongest floodwaters in verse 6 can come and hurt him. As God provided protection to Noah and his family from the great floodwaters in Genesis 6, God is providing protection and a hiding place for those who would hide in God today. We don't have to fear great floodwaters. He's saying, what love my God. We can now see that God's love is like a flood to us. Oh, your love, my God, like a flood, as heaven opened up, pouring out on us. Oh, praise the king who came to the world in his love like a mighty flood. We don't fear floodwaters because God's love is like a flood that overflows and overpowers us. Hiding in God implies a rest, a security, a protection that we receive from him. Verse 7 reveals to us a wonderful truth. Confessing sin to God and hiding in him is a joyous occasion. Verse 7 says, God surrounds us with joyful shouts of deliverance. BBC, whenever we see members freed from their sin, these are joyous occasions that we should celebrate. Think about how the father, in the story of the prodigal son, how the father reacted at the son's return and the celebration that occurred afterwards. And if God wills for the ex-members of the church that we've excommunicated to turn from their sin and come to God in, in repentance, we as a church must celebrate that. Let's continue, verse 8. This psalm tells us that in our following of God, God will instruct us and show us the way to go. With specifically a great detail, he says, with God's eye on you. What a contrast now it is for David. When David is in sin, he's silent and he's hiding from God. He's trying to run away and find a place where God can't find him. But God is everywhere. God knows all and sees all. Similar to Adam and Eve hiding. That's what David was doing. But when he repents and confesses, what once felt like an overbearing burden of trying to run away from God and trying to be kept away from his sight, David now sees that God watching over him is actually a good thing. It's not a burden, but a comfort. We cannot hide from God, and we need to see that as grace from him and a good thing. David then says in verse 9 that believers ought not to be like horses and mules. Horses and mules are known for their stubbornness. If there is a path set before them, they will not follow that path, and they'll need a bit and bridle that is put over their head and mouth to provide control. David firsthand experienced the stubborn sinfulness that plagued his life. He would continually reject God's grace, and he was stuck in a pattern of sin before he confessed. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 and 11 ends our psalm. 
with David providing a bookend of the main point in verses 1 and 2. Verse 10 says this, Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's recap. Friends, let's be happy in God's forgiveness. Look at the life of David. Learn from his sins, his story of being silent and running from the Lord. And see the joy and happiness that is found in not just confessing your sin to the Lord, but ultimately being forgiven by him. We see his joy evident in our psalm today, in David's testimony, in David's confession, in David's instruction. Some application for us. Children. I mean, there's still children here. Oh, yeah, I hear, I hear them. All right. An application for you. Hi. As your parents instruct you and teach you the Bible and who God is, and other specific values, rules that they have. Listen. Listen to their instruction. They love you and want to guide you in a path that will not harm you. And these lessons, similar to David teaching us here, these are lessons that they had to, deal, they, they had to learn themselves. They're trying to teach you what is good for you. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to welcome you and thank you for coming here today. God brought you here for a reason. I have a question for you in light of what we talked about. Who is your hiding place? Meaning, where are you finding your rest, your security, and your protection? What are you banking on in this life that will make life meaningful and give you purpose? Or are you not hiding in something but continually hiding from God? Are you feeling shame that you can't come before a holy God because of sin? Are you tired of running? Are you tired of the endless grasping at trying to change, trying to do better, and still find yourself falling short? Friends, I have good news for you. You can stop hiding. You can stop running. You can experience the joy that David has by trusting in Jesus Christ. There's a reason why our sin feels heavy. It separates us from a holy God and thus makes us deserving of the punishment of God's wrath, which is eternal separation from him in hell. But God, out of his great love for us, does not want us to hide from him. He wants us to hide in him. He sends his perfect son, Jesus, to come on earth Jesus lives a perfect life without sin. Jesus is crucified on the cross for our sin and dies. Jesus takes on the punishment that we deserved. And thankfully and triumphantly, he is risen from the dead and on the third day, and he, and he ascends and is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' fleshly but his fleshly body experiences excruciating pain and suffering so that although our bones, they can become brittle in this life, they wouldn't be eternally destroyed or crushed. Jesus is the one who experiences the heaviest hand of God so that we would not experience any of God's eternal punishment. Like David, Jesus' strength was drained 
but Jesus' strength was drained to the point that he dies. Verse 1 says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. There is, this is only possible because the only person who had no deceit took on the sins of those who could not pay for it. So if you're not a Christian here today, when I read verse 1 and say, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is what Jesus is offering you today. You can be this person. This is the gospel. If you repent of your sins, confess them to God and trust in Jesus Christ. Some applications to you, church. Be in the habit of confessing sin. Many of us here are part of accountability groups. Cultivate a safe place in your accountability groups to allow others to confess sin and a place where you can confess sin as well. And if you haven't, if you're not in a consistent accountability group, like, please reach out to the pastors or some of the members here to try to get plugged into one. When we confess sin, another application, when we confess sin, stop hiding. Reveal the sin completely. There's no need to sugarcoat our sin. It's ugly. We can't make it prettier. Don't just share half of it, 75% of it, or even 98% of it. Share all of it. Another application, listen to the testimonies of others in the church who have been freed from the sins that you're currently struggling with. A lot of us, a lot of the members here at BBC have experienced the grace of God and God has provided us with victory over sins, over sins that we thought we'd never be freed from. So if you're currently struggling with sin, seek these members out. To those who have experienced grace from God and freeing you from particular sins, encourage those who need help. Fight alongside these brothers and sisters. Once again, I'm thankful for the privilege to preach to you God's word. There was a time not too long ago where I thought I would never have this privilege again. I chose Psalm 32 for our sermon text because I resonated with David's story. Like David, I was hiding from God. I was in a pattern not too long ago of trying to obey God, but not fully and completely. I was stuck in a pattern of sexual sin and deceit that I had kept hidden for over half my life. I downplayed the effects of the sin and almost let it ruin my marriage. But until I got to the point of my depravity where I was tired of running from God, I was tired of doing it my way, I felt my bones become brittle and felt the weight of the guilt and the shame of my sin. The anxiousness that I felt was too severe. It felt like every little action that I did would lead me to getting caught. But when I realized that the only one who can provide me relief was the one I was hiding from, God's kindness led me to repentance. I repented and through a season of sadness and discipline from the Lord, I now see why David can be happy in God's forgiveness of him. 
because trusting in Jesus completely and wholeheartedly is so sweet. It doesn't mean, this, it doesn't mean that sin isn't there. It doesn't mean that it doesn't occur. But it does mean that we can give it to Jesus and the sun covers it. So confess it to God. Church family, therefore we can be happy in living a life filled with repentance and confession to God. Charles Spurgeon says this regarding Psalm 32. He says, if I mend my ways in the future, there is the dark catalog of past offenses still pursuing me. Even if I run up no other debts, there are the old accounts. How can I get them paid? How can I get past, how can I get my past sins forgiven? Man cannot help us. Angels cannot help us. The greatest archangel can do nothing for us. Where can we find forgiveness? Where is the priceless prize? The mind does not have it in its, depth, in its depths. Stars do not in their brilliance. It is hidden in the sacred counsels of the Most High. Then from the throne of God, I, I hear it said, I am the substitute. And looking up there, I see sitting on the throne, a God and yet a man, a man who was once, who once was slain. I see his scarred hands and his pierced side, but he is also God. And smiling benignly, he says, I have forgiveness. I have pardon. I have purchased it with my heart's blood. This precious chest of divinity was broken open for your souls. I had to die the righteous for the unrighteous. I had to suffer for your sake, excruciating agony, unutterable pains, and woes such as you cannot comprehend. And can I say that this amazing grace is mine? Has he enrolled my worthless name in the covenant of his grace? Do I see the blood mark on my pardon? Do I know that he purchased it with such a price? Then can I refuse to say, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I understand that there may be some of you that are still struggling, whether that's through pride, anger, lust, control, sexual sin. I understand that the struggle to obey the Lord is, is difficult. Since power over us puts us in a spiritual darkness that can, that can diminish the hope of ever escaping its grip. And you may not see yourself as David here. You may not see yourself as David, the forgiven man. I wanna encourage you to keep fighting, keep repenting, even when it's difficult and discouraging. Matthew 5, 8 said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Take encouragement of the fact that one day you will see God. You will one day see God. So my encouragement to you now is keep looking to the sun. Keep looking to the sun. We must kill the sin that wants us to look away from God by looking at God. We can escape sin's stronghold over us by beholding Jesus, by trusting in Jesus. It's going to be hard, but it's an everyday battle of trusting in Jesus, looking at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, that we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into, into the same image from glory to glory. As we trust daily in Jesus, we are being more like him. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Change can take time. 
It likely won't happen overnight, but for some of us, we wonder whether this change will ever happen, right? But keep looking at the beauty of the sun. Earlier in the sermon, we talked about the Greek story of Narcissus. Our sin can captivate us and puts us in a trance similar to his. His downfall was that he was captivated at a reflection of his own beauty, and he died looking at himself. BBC, we fight our sin by being captivated by the beauty of the sun. We keep looking at the sun. Unlike narcissists, looking at the sun will not lead to death, but will lead you to new life in God. As you keep fighting sin, take hold of God's promise that you will one day see God. And on that day you see him, the battle with, the battle with sin will be finished. Your eyes will finally behold the sun you've been looking at, and we will see God's glory in all his majesty. We're going to sing All Glory Be to Christ in a few minutes. One of, the, one of the lines says this, And on that day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain, is making all things new. So church family, look forward to that day. On that day when we're with God, we will think about the struggles that we've had in this world. We'll think about the struggles we had with sin and how difficult it was to fight sin. We'll think about the suffering that we endured in, in obedience to God. And when we finally see the lamb who was for sinners slain, when you finally see him make all things new, including us, we will come to the great realization that it was all worth it. This is a day when our faith will finally be turned to sight and our hope is realized and the memories of temptations and the struggle with sin will be silenced forever. Church families, so let's be happy in God's forgiveness of us and let's keep looking to the sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We pray that we would release whatever chains that are still holding, holding on to us because of sin, we pray that we would release them to Jesus who dies for us. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to trust him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.